In today's world, we are increasingly dependent on technology. Our business and personal lives rely on it, but as you've probably noticed, it's unreliable. They promise it'll get better, but it usually gets worse. Our computers are slow, so we end up squinting at smartphones and tablets. We live in constant fear that something's going to happen to our personal data, so we're scared into paying for fake protection that proves useless when disaster strikes. Update attacks, fake Wi-Fi, cloud control, and other industry scandals are designed to keep the money flowing. The jokers we pay to fix our stuff have no clue what they're doing, so they do a virus scan and then wipe out our precious photos. Intelligent, successful people feel intimidated by the chaos and think it's somehow their fault. If they only knew what the industry was doing to them, they'd get torches and pitchforks. If only we had someone to explain it all in plain English so we can start protecting ourselves. Oh wait, we do! It's the Computer Exorcist Podcast with your host, Mark Anthony Arena. From the Wallace Memorial microphone in my home office, my new home office, overlooking the can of worms in downtown Rochester, New York, we are recording here in the new home office for the very first time. This is the Computer Exorcist Podcast. Mark Anthony Arena here. So happy you are here and so happy I have a special guest today, Joe Domino. Uh, he interviewed me on his show called Famous Interviews and I said, I want to know about this guy. I want to have him on my show. Turns out we both are computer guys and we both agree on the same stuff, so I'm happy to, I'm excited to hear what he's got to say. Joe, tell us about you. Yeah, hey, Mark Anthony, thank you so much for having me on the show. Um, yeah, I'm kind of a chameleon. I'm a, a, a computer tech by day for a large school district in the Kansas City metro. I'm a podcaster. I have a jazz radio show. Um, as you can see behind me, I'm a visual artist. That's one of my paintings. I write. I just kind of keep my hands dabbled in a lot of things. So that's uh, that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> oh yeah, and and this is an audio podcast, but but the audience can imagine the uh, the art behind you. That's really cool, actually. Thank you, thank you. Um, so what? How did you get into jazz, and how did you get into computers, and how, any of this? <clears throat> so the, let the, we'll start with the computers. I, you know, I remember having a word processor in the 90s, and I thought it was the coolest thing in the world. And then I got my first computer, a Packard Bell at Best Buy, yeah. put it on a credit card, got that behemoth. I lived in the basement of my folks' place, and all my friends were like, all right, this is the place. And we just tore that computer up. And I really got interested, and then from there, I got a job as a desktop publishing specialist for a home health agency after I graduated college. And that kind of coincides with my broadcasting. I always wanted to be on the set of ESPN, Bristol, Connecticut, right by Keith Olbermann or Dan Patrick. That was the dream. Oh, I've heard so, of college friends working there. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I went to school for broadcasting and I got in there. I became an intern for the Kansas City or for 61 country at station doing pre and post game production for the Royals. Um, and it was like, 
on this place called Signal Hill in Kansas City. And it was uh, KY102, which was one of the best rock formats in the 80s. It was this hallowed place. And I'm in there and I'm like, oh my God, I'm here. And I used to be kind of the schlep boy. I'd go out and get uh, this place called Herper House, a famous steakhouse in Kansas City. We'd run ads for them during the production. I'd have to go food. Sometimes I would eat, other times I wouldn't. But I was bringing it all back to these DJs that we worshipped in the 80s in Kansas City. Wow. So like, I'm good. Like Skid Rowdy and Marty Wall and all these fantastical names. So anyways, I kind of got on the inside and there was a couple baseball players that were uh, hosts and I got to talk to them about baseball, got to figure out how it worked. And I was I was ready, man. And uh, I, I remember going to a sports broadcasting camp during that same summer and met Bob Costas, Dan Deerdorf, all the guys. I was ready to go. OK, I mean, when we saw Bob Costas the night before, all of us sport broadcast geeks couldn't sleep. We thought we were going to meet the second coming of, of Jesus. We all were freaked out like, you know. So anyway. That was kind of my trajectory. I finally, long story short, I got on the inside of the sports broadcasting world. And I'm like, yeah, I don't think so. I was covering the Royals at the time and going to the clubhouse when Hal McRae was there during the dark days of the Royals. David Cohn just came back from New York. There was a lot of strife. It just, it, it was weird. So once I kind of went through the whole grinder of sports radio, I was like, I, I can't do it. It was really? too much, no pay. The guys weren't happy. There was just a lot of, there, there was just an abrasiveness that I didn't want to go for with my career. So and and I, there's billions of people who are fighting to be a sports broadcaster, right? Yeah. Like 99% yeah. of the people in my town worship sports and that's all they want to do. Exactly. But there was a level of these guys that were just, there was a core to them that w I just didn't like the way they rolled. I just wasn't into it. Maybe other people were, but I just couldn't do it. So I got out. And I kind of recalibrated my life. What am I going to do? And I got into this job with the home health agency and I started doing more computing. And the thing about the 90s and computing is you get grandfathered in because all of the upper ups are cheapskates. So they want you to learn networking. They want you to learn all these things. Uh, this was pre-certification days. So these yeah. guys would come in and be like, hey, can you look at this mainframe? Can you do this? Can you do yeah, that? You're a computer you're guy. You can type. Years. You're young. You just go in and say, good, I'll do it. So you figure it out. That's kind of how all of it kind of started for me. And I ended up becoming an IT director for a home health agency later on. And I always had the jazz or the broadcasting on the back burner. I never really gave it up. So I started doing some voiceover work in the school district, the Grandview School District I work in. And I started kind of getting that magic back in me because I used to cut the sports page out when I was in school. I would read the script. I would listen to the tape on the way to school, which was 30 minutes away. I went to the University of Missouri, Kansas City, and then I would listen to it on the way back. I was a student. I did that. It was in my blood. I loved it. Um, so anyway, I'm going to fast forward to when it all really began. I was doing freelance work, and I ran into a show called The Neon Beam, and it was uh, the American Songbook. I got this Radio Shack raccoon with a radio in its belly. I turn it on. There's a neon beat. This guy's doing it. John Christopher. And I'm like, I got to reach out to this guy. I reached out. I said, I love your show. I love your delivery. I love what you're doing. And we interviewed and I did an article on him. He said, why don't you come to my house? It just so happened he was four blocks away. What? All the equipment in his house came from Signal Hill, the station that I worked in in the 90s. He was an engineer for Intercom. What? So all of it was kismet. So he said, come to my house, write a script. Let's go. I just picked jazz. 2011, really? I did it, and now I'm on show 826. So, 
And when I started it, I said, I'm going to interview jazz musicians. I'm not taking information from a book. I'm going to the source. It's America's music. I'm going to get their voices. And that's how it kind of all took off. And it's just spiraled into this famous interviews. It just kind of became a part of what I do. And and these people, as we were talking about before the show, these people have stories, right? Why would you read from an article when you can have these people with raw stories, right? The living history, man. And they, they are jazz people are the coolest, most grounded people in the world. The higher up you go, like Sonny Rollins, Lou, Lou Donalds and these guys, they are more humble on the top than they are anywhere else. And they all want to preserve this art form and they all want to take care of the youth. And they're just gentle, good creatures. And they're yeah. talented beyond belief. So, yeah, I ran in. Because I diverted my life and it took a while to get back in, I finally found some of the finest human beings on the planet. I like to call them the Jazz Jedi Council. They're like the swamis in Cloud City and Empire. They're just kind of up there and they have this magic about them. They, they really are. And, and you know what's, uh, and by the way, you're, you're cordially invited to come with me next year to the Rochester International Jazz Festival, if you've heard of that. Yes. It's it's yes. actually, as much as I complain about my city, it's actually one of the best jazz festivals. I went with my college roommate way back when it was the first and second year, and it was yep. just like 20 hippies wandering around, right? And us. Uh-huh. And it was just, it was, every year it gets more and more popular, and it's a good thing. We want it to be popular, and it's just jam-packed now and well-known. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's on my list to get up there you know, even in Manhattan to see the Vanguard and Smalls and all of that and then make my way up. So, yeah, it's I need to make a pilgrimage from Kansas City at some point. Yeah. Um, and you know what's funny? The the way you talk about these jazz artists being gentle creatures, right? Like my dad's uncle was a, a big jazz guy um, and he played with all the greats, right? He played with the Manjonis and he played with all the greats and... I have a cousin as well who we were talking about earlier, and and he's just uh, the most gentle, humble, yet monumentally talented person. Um, And if you look at my logo on my website, my company logo is is my, it's like a personal logo, right? I'm going to use it in, in, uh, I'm writing a book about psychology, and and I'm going to focus on it. this this symbol that I invented, I call it the full circle, right? Yeah. So you've got if you kind of imagine imagine you know the Hanna Barbera thing where the star was spiraling, right? So you've got a thin, you got a circle that starts out thin and it ends up thick. It's actually yeah. the best way to put it. And so what happens is you've got and you can apply this to anything, right? The think about like the poor and and then you've got normal people in the middle and then you've got the rich at the thickest end but the thinnest end always touches the thickest end doesn't it yeah so yeah. and this when you you were talking about jazz people this is how i imagine them these are people who usually start out super broke and they're usually uh hyper intelligent right but they they're they're at the what i call the full circle they're at that intersection where they've seen it all they've seen the wheel of fortune right they've been broke they've seen success they hang around with really crusty people and they hang around with really refined people and they they've seen it all sometimes they'll have ups and downs in their careers right does that make sense yeah absolutely it does yeah and yeah and so they've seen it all they have absolutely they have and that's the thing it's like they almost seem like the um 
the, the well-traveled poet like that they that they're they're collecting stories they're collecting fodder and they're going to turn it into music that we're all going to fall in love with yeah yeah and it's like think of hemingway right like extreme success yeah. but extreme trauma and that sort of right right it's yeah so that's how i i envision jazz people and then they are they're just the these gentle people it's it's yeah um wow yeah i i could talk to you for hours this is great <laughs> <laughs> um so and 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 really we we need to talk more um off the show as well but but what uh, my key thing right my key point of why i do my show is to explain technology in plain english and teach people as i might have said on your show look you're all intelligent successful people who did not grow up in this world and by the way this it world is seems to try to intimidate people uh, in, yeah. in order to gain more monthly revenue, right? We're going to we're gonna scare you into thinking you need, oh, you need Norton, otherwise you're going to have problems. You need this, otherwise you're going to have problems, right? Intimidating people into buying products and services that they never, ever, ever needed. And the industry also complicates itself exponentially every day, right? Yeah. So I, I'm here to remind people, you're all intelligent, successful people. You are not stupid. Your computer, a lot of you, oh, my computer guy said I was stupid. No, you're not stupid. You're an intelligent, successful person who was thrust into an industry that deliberately intimidates. Does that, is, does that make sense? Absolutely. In fact, you just, you just sparked an idea that I wrote down. The funny oh. thing about IT is it's like jazz. People are intimidated by jazz. They think it's highbrow. You know, and, and and they're kind of scared away by it, kind of what you said about IT. So I wrote this the other day, and it, it, it actually comes to it. I said, ironically, as overanalyzed and frightening as folks make jazz, 99% of the world comes to it because it's fun. It's like a non-scary amusement park of magic and wonder. That's, and that's all jazz was meant to be. IT is. Uh, yeah, that's all jazz was meant to be is a rebellion. That's it. And IT has that magic and wonder, which is why we get sucked into it. Yeah, like you, you know, and I got into it when it was a rebellion, when it was fun. Remember Hack the Planet, the movie Hackers, yeah. right? We yeah. got into it because it was countercultural, and now it's kind of taking us over and squeezing humanity. Uh-huh. Absolutely. I mean, we were we were dig we were doing it back in the day when we were making fun of Steve Jobs with the turtleneck and yeah. and a bomber got on stage with Gates and they were all doing that goofy dance. Developers, <laughs> developers. If if y'all haven't heard this, go on YouTube right now and look up Developers by Steve Ballmer. He got up there and this guy, he was Bill Gates's poker buddy. He probably knows nothing about computers, but here's yeah. this big huge sweaty guy up on a stage in a suit and tie and he doesn't know how to motivate his programmers so he gets up there and developers developers yeah well and the proof that steve jobs is probably more savvy is that he would never let wozniak do that and wozniak was the brains ah, behind it right. he wouldn't do that they, there'd be no way i'm not dancing to a song on stage while yeah. you get up there and do this whole thing uh -uh. i mean if i was steve Ballmer, i would get up there and dance around and get all sweaty because hey i'm a billionaire and i'm here to to make my employees laugh like yeah. you know, that's that would be cool. But but I yeah. you know you're totally right about that because with Apple you had Steve Wozniak who was the computer side and Steve Jobs who was the translator and and I I strive to be that I strive to be the translator between computers and people. Yeah. <clears throat> you know the interesting thing about IT too is is that 
what you're doing is a whisper is that it's gotten dangerous. People get ripped off. There's a lot of stuff going on. So it's kind of like, you know, all of these other tech things that get invented, like Facebook used to be kind of this fun realm. Used and now it's this place where you can go to jail if you say the wrong thing and all of this stuff. Right, you know, right. It, and and it, where people go to fight with people they used to love. Ex- exactly, yeah. And it's almost as though IT or technology, these platforms have become a police state. It's become the Orwellian novel we all were like, oh, I hope we don't go there. And we are there. I mean, you look at even COVID. I remember at one point early on where New Yorkers and even people in bigger cities would look at people that would go outside without a mask and report them. It's like, they report them. that's yeah. crazy. Yeah, and you know what? That's, yeah. that's exactly stuff. If you read the book, the 1975 book called The Russians, it was written by a failing New York Times author back then, and everything he said in 75 is now happening here where people are reporting each other and everything. And I say this all the time, too, that big tech, number one, aims to supplant government and, and, and has, it, is, it, it has in a lot of ways, uh, it, it micromanages our daily lives, right? So the other thing I say is that it is the Soviet's wildest dream. It really is. The surveillance and the micromanagement are better than the Soviets could have ever imagined possible. Absolutely. Yeah, I was just reading a story last night. Speaking of the the threat of news and information and technology, some story came out, and it's not corroborated, that apparently Putin had a heart attack Sunday night. What? His guards found him in his room, resuscitated him, and they put him in some intensive care unit, and he's recovering. But they're they're all saying you can't you can't fall for that. It's like you know that there's a level of that that's getting out because it's trickery, you know, but it, it, but, but, you know, that's the idea of, of disinformation. We didn't have that like two decades ago. We didn't have Snopes and all these other things that said, did this happen? Did this person die? I mean, we're just getting into this place, which is why there's so many weird stories that are floating out there because we have so much information now. Right, yeah. and it's all well, chaos. And honestly, it's yeah. it's it's the Pandora's box of if these people had a microphone, they would have done. Like if if a hundred years ago you gave someone the internet, they'd go around scamming people and lying too, right? Uh-huh. Yeah, but the beauty of like that Christian Slater film, Pirate Raider, when uh, what was that? He uh, had that radio station. Like that that kind of a thing was really cool to think that somebody could like you know, sneak music out to people and put cool things out there. And now that's the upside of technology is that we have the opportunity where we can do this on our own as independent producers and we can get our opinions and put our things out there. And that's what I think is so cool about this newer generation. Lots of them are starting their own businesses. They're becoming entrepreneurs. They're living their lives. They're taking that Gen X baton and and furthering it down, saying, I'm going to take control of my life. I'm not working for, uh, you know, the man. I'm yeah. going to be the one. And it's it's kind of cool. Technology's opened that door up to a lot of people. Yeah. So the, and, and I did an episode like 10 years ago in my traditional radio show that I had. And I said, technology's bad. And this I had this guy, Pastor Ken, on. He goes, Mark, wait a minute. Not all technology's bad. What you and I are doing right now is good. So it's, yeah. it's something to remember. I'm going to read an article if you're ready. Yes. May 2023 Electrical Contractor Magazine. Backup disaster. A lesson about data storage learned the hard way. 
I have been teaching people how to use computers since around 1984 and have always recommended that users back up their data. In the early days, failures were a lot more common. Uh, hard drives were prone to crashing, which is literally when the, the read-write head, the needle on the hard drive, actually crashes into the surface of the hard disk. Other types of hardware software failures can cause data loss. Even when you undelete a file or pull it out of a recycle bin, didn't come around until several years uh, after I started using computers, he says. Today's computers are much more reliable, but still subject to data loss and glitches, failures, viruses, malware, fire, theft. It's still very important to back up your data. How you do is also important, as I learned recently. Right? And, and side note, like it's preposterous that this industry is so disgustingly unreliable that backup still isn't a thing. And 99% of computer guys who I clean up after have never even suggested backup to their clients. I walk in vast majority of time, I say, okay, we're going to clean your computer, yada, yada, get all the dust out, get all the Norton out, and wait a minute, did your computer, do you have a backup? No, my computer guy never said anything about it. He just said I should buy a new one before this one died. And I said, are you swinging from vine to vine? Right? That's what I call it. It's just living on the edge. I said, I, can, I don't care if your computer's 10 or 15 or 20 years old. It doesn't matter as long as you have proper backup. Yeah. Right, because yeah. even a brand new one could die. It's not about the age. It's you need backup no matter what. Yeah. Basic, what I call computer hygiene. These dudes have no clue, right? It's one yeah. thing, Joe, and you know this, right? It's one thing if our clients are not savvy, but the dudes they trust to clean their stuff, right? What What if the cops couldn't prevent bank robberies, right? And they walked around with pop guns. No, I, I get it. I, my, my, my thing, and, and it's kind of like the Geek Squad guys. Ugh. The most redeeming thing that comes out of the Geek Squad people is that I want to have a badge myself. That's the one thing I admire the most about them. I would love to have an IT badge. A they badge? Carry have, have you seen it? No. I, I clean up after their, their destruction on a daily basis, but I don't know they have a badge. I mean, the badge it must say, like, I'm certified to know absolutely nothing, and I'm certified it's, to destroy. It's, it's, it's actually it's actually like a police badge they get to carry around. Oh. I've always thought as an IT guy that would be great just to walk in and be like, I got it, man. We're good. I got the badge. We're and, coming in. You know what? And and side note, that's a societal thing where, where one of my advisors told me, he goes, Mark, why do doctors wear a lab coat in the office? They're not getting dirty. It's because the uniform carries gravitas, yes. right? That, that's it. And, and it, if I didn't hate the gimmickry so much, I would carry some kind of a badge. Or, you know, one of my clients said, you should wear a cape, you know. <laughs> right. That's I hear that, too. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and, and I get, you know what I get in the school district? All the kids that see me, they all think I look like um, Iron Man. So they all call me Tony. So, <laughs> you do. Yeah, I get them all the time. I had a woman at Dairy Queen like a year ago say, oh, my God. You look like you look like Robert Downey Jr. And, and I, I I almost want to reach out to, to to Robert Downey and say, look, if you need a doppelganger, let's let's get this going, let's figure it out. If you do the and you know I used to have that in college, I had the mustache with the with the little chin part. Yeah. That, if you just fixed your hair like that, I, I will. I'll modify. Do some ma manscaping. <laughs> <coughs> okay. So he says, I came into my office. There was a big message on the screen from my backup software that said my data drive could no longer be found. 
I took the computer to a technician, oh boy, hoping they had some tools that could access the drive. No such luck. I had a spare computer, I quickly got it set up with my programs, and I started restoring data from my online backup service. Alright, uh, and this is very important. It says, the database file for my estimating software could not be found. That's when I started to panic. After four hours of the phone, on the phone with tech support, I did not have my file. The next day, they still could not find my file. I was in panic mode. Two and a half years of electrical estimates lost was a big problem. Um, this was huge. Um, side note, he was probably infected with carbonite which is the big name in online backup, and usually the biggest name is the worst name in our industry. Have you found that to be true? Yeah, yeah. Okay, Carbonite, GoDaddy, HP, Carbonite, GoDaddy, and HP, right? Um, yeah. So I, I rescue people from, from that those three all the time. So here's the deal. Carbonite or any other online backup software um, cannot back up your what I call weird business software. Because weird business software is made by really extra sloppy slobs who keep the data elsewhere. They don't understand to keep the data in your My Documents folder. So they keep the data, and QuickBooks does this too, they hide the data in some deep, deep folder that is not included in your backup. So all y'all out there who are using QuickBooks or any other weird business software, your stuff is not being backed up with your online backup software. Um, and nobody understands this. No computer guy in the world understands this, except perhaps you and me. And and I, I feel a little less alone today. Yeah, right. No, I, I get it. Having you here, I feel, because usually it's, I'm the only guy in the world and all these jokers, and dudes just shrug their shoulders and laugh you off and kick you out. You know, it's it's and it's ironic that a lot of them have badges and certifications, and none of them know any of this. I know, I know. So he says, what do I learn from this disaster? A single backup source is not adequate. No, that's actually not true. Just remember to point your online backup toward the folder that your weird business software is hiding your stuff in. How about that? So you could have, yeah. th this dude doesn't understand. You could have 10 or 20 or 30 online cloud backups and automated backups and whatever. And it's still, if you don't specify, if you don't specify the location of your weird business software, there's no point. Yeah. So that's not true at all. He says, after a little research, I got a Western Digital Easy Store hard drive with a Cronus True Image software and Microsoft Office 365. All right, problem number one, Western Digital has absolute zero ethics. Um, they make hard drives that lock themselves with a password, and of course you forget your password immediately, and no one on earth is ever able to get in. Also, they have an automated software called WD Smartware that destroys itself, and it's not readable on anything. So it's not human verifiable, it's not recoverable, it's totally pointless. And then the Acronis True Image takes an exact snapshot of your hard drive, which is better than nothing, but why would you want to take a corrupt copy of Windows and bring it forward into the future with you? All you need to do is specify the location of what you need and do a backup of just your stuff. You don't need to take the whole, the whole uh, kit and caboodle. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, and he says, I should have read the fine print. It turns out there are several file types my plan does not back up automatically. No, that's not true at all. It's not file type. Again, it's location. Yeah. He didn't yeah. specify the location, and his computer jokers didn't understand that. Most of them don't. What do you yeah. think? You know, I'm curious. Where do you cloud? Where do you back up your stuff? Um, 
once I get Carbonite victims away from there, I go to something called iDrive.com. Uh, okay. Have you heard of them? I have, yes. Okay, they and there's a referral link on my website, and they give me a dollar if any of y'all are interested. But um, it's it's I love them because they're big enough to compete. They're far more competent than Carbonite, and if you actually have a disaster, they actually care. Whereas Carbonite laughs at you and crashes halfway through, and it just restarts in an infinite loop of crashing. Um, these guys actually care. They'll mail you a hard drive of all your stuff if you ever lose yours. Like, if you need it in a hurry. Like, if you don't have time to do the download, they'll mail you a hard drive. Um, they're big enough to compete, but small enough to have real human beings. It's this new thing called real human beings on a telephone. Yes. You know, that's the thing. It's interesting. I remember, because I've lost hard drives, and it's crushing. Yeah. I remember the one hard drive that I lost, which was the most crushing. I took my son back uh, when Obama was running, and he came through Kansas City, and I recorded a bunch of footage. Cool. And I, it crashed like two or three days later. Uh. I happened to like process and made a video, but all of my raw data and everything, my whole drive was gone. And it was just an old drive. It was in the early days. And I always say when you lose a drive, you become a stronger organism. You yeah. do things in a different way. You know, you When just... you have tragedy in your life, too, it's the same thing, actually. And you break exactly. a bone. When you break a bone, your bone comes back stronger, right? It's the same. Yeah. Yeah, you just get better and better. But I've always heard that if you don't have your data backed up in at least three places, it's not backed up properly. I like that. I usually say at least two places, but you're totally right. Um, absolutely. Because people think, oh, well, and again, it's my computer guy never said anything about backups. So they're just uh, living on a prayer on the skin of their teeth with one computer. And I say, look, we have to do a proper backup. We'll do a verifiable backup. Again, like this dude who wrote the article here didn't bother verifying. We do a verifiable backup. I keep a backup at my parents' house. I keep one at my office. I keep, yeah. yeah. And that's the thing I think about this article that we, we've we kind of touched on here is there's so many misperceptions. There's so many people that aren't giving good information from an IT perspective. Myth, and rumor, people, legend. Yeah, yeah, they have no idea. Like I, I even know in, in, in with people that I deal with on a daily basis, a, a lot of things are on local drives and they're like, well, what do you mean? I, what, what is Google Drive? It's like, hold on. We, we, we got to get to a place where you're putting this up in the cloud and you're backing it up because there's just people that don't do it. They think that, and if something happens with their OS and you can't recover it, it's gone. And that's the problem. Well, right. And, and I do a local drive, you know, a local backup copy that's verifiable, right? A drag and drop, right? Where it's, it's just yep. a plain drag and drop. Um, and, as far as the cloud stuff goes, sure, 99% of people are unaware that Google Drive is sucking things out of their machine, so I, I set it up where they willingly back up to the cloud. Yes, yeah, that's the thing, too. You got to, yeah, get get rid of the automation and, and do it yourself. That's the best way sure, to do it, but, but I think... yeah. But, but yeah, I think I'm so glad that you picked back up because it's a big deal and I don't think people take it seriously and, you know, they, they lose things. I mean, I I even have like a backdoor thing that I do on my web hoster. I have folders on there where I back up even on, even on there. So Great. if I have to go to an FTP and pull it down, I have a back, back, back door where I can just grab it and pull it down. You know, oh, so. brilliant. So it's like a little storage locker if you're in an airport and you rent a storage locker. Exactly. And it's like, I only know where it's at. So mm -hmm. sometimes I'm like, you know, I want to go to that year of, of pictures and I grab the zip, I pull it down and it's right there. And yeah. I do it with a lot of stuff, you know, 
whatever documents that are important or memorable or whatever. And I, I have it all backed up. So, um, yeah. And I used to save software and this, that, and the other, but I've gotten to a point now where it's, I'm, I'm more concerned about things like, you know, pictures and, and documents and those kinds of things. But you also realize too, after you've lost things that there's things that you just don't need, or you don't want to hold on to, or you just, it's, it's not going to do anything. It's kind of like that whole thing. Backing up hard drives is kind of like like moving into a new house. I was going to say you that. haven't messed with this thing for a year or two. Yeah. Get rid of it. Yeah, I just moved this week. Sure. Yeah, just get rid of it. And there's something that's so cleansing and oh, good yeah. about just exonerating and saging your life and being like, all right, uh, I'm in a new place. I don't need this anymore. And you just move on. You're and like I'm going to do the same with existentialist. my... Oh, absolutely. Like I'm going through my stuff now and I got rid of a lot of stuff before my move and after I'm going to go through my hard drive and I just noticed the other day it's like well, I have receipts in my in my documents folder in my hard drive from like 15 years ago. Like I can yeah. toss those and I will feel yeah. good cuz it allows you honestly it's we're not saying get rid of everything, right? We're, we're saying it allows you to focus on what you care about. It's just like when I got rid of I had like three large TVs and I'm one guy, right? So I got rid of a lot of it's two of the TVs and I got rid of a lot of stuff so I can focus on the the things that I do care about i'm yeah. setting up a video game museum in my secondary bedroom and instead of being in the closet all my video games are going to be on display and accessible yeah 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 that's awesome i i work with the guy that loves to collect games and different media just like that and he has floppy disks the big huge disks and all kinds of stuff it's crazy where we come from yeah, a, a guy gave me, like 15 years ago, a buddy of mine gave me a sealed copy of Microsoft Windows version 1. Wow. And I kept it, and earlier this year I sold it to a guy for four grand. Wow. Yeah, and I, I saw, I knew it was going to be worth something someday. And yeah. I was asking 12, and I should have held my ground, but he ended up giving me four grand. Wow. Yeah. I remember back in about 08, I was driving home. And I noticed an iMac on the ground. Oh. I, okay. It's like, it was, it, it was like bought for a girl. Um, like a dad bought it for the girl and didn't want it, got rid of it. So I get it. I put it in my art studio, what? plug it in. All of their files are on there. Everything's oh. on there. Like, dude. Right. That's so another use... thing, folks. Erase your stuff. Hand that's it to it. us. Hand it to someone that's... who will properly erase. That's the thing. So I get it. And I didn't really do anything with it. I just, I used it as a media player. It was just kind of one of those things. It was back in CD days. I would put it in and I used it in my art studio. But that's the thing that's weird about people is they, they think, oh, well, I'm just going to throw and destroy my phone. Well, you know what? Maybe you should think about that because if someone gets that, I have found all kinds of phones and there's been SD cards or I plug it in and I see all this stuff. It's like, there's a proper way to get rid of it. Just like backing up, there's a proper way to get rid of it, too, and people should be cognizant. Yeah, absolutely. Find a local person you trust to have a proper erase. And, and again, it's it's maybe they're trustworthy as people, but they're not totally competent with the technology, right? you got to find someone who's both, right? Yeah. Um, and, and, Joe, if you want to be my guy for Kansas City, we should talk about this. Because I can, you know, as I start my speaking tour, I can point people your way to get real proper care. Um, sure. So we should talk about that. Um, yes. Any final thoughts? 
Oh, this has been wonderful, man. I am so glad that you asked me on. I'm so glad. I, I don't feel so alone either. I think sometimes tech people feel like we're floating around in a vacuum and we have this thing that we we can't really share with other i kind of feel like that with podcasting too sometimes we're just doing this and going through it it's a passion we're doing it but until we actually find another heartbeat out there that's doing the same thing you know we don't find that that tech fellowship so to speak so it's great that we we ran into each other and we got it yeah because you and i in our own social circles are the only guys who know the tech right and for years for 10 years i drove around town thinking i'm the only guy who could do this and the only guy in the world um so i'm so thrilled whenever i meet someone competent and um yeah thanks so much joe domino how do people listen to your show if you want to just go out, probably the best way to do is to go to my website, joedomino.com, and on there, I have everything on there, whether it's my my uh, tech, my podcast feeds, my artwork, all of those things, they're all up there. And that will, you know, the links to like LinkedIn, which has more of my tech background and all of those things. So it's a one-stop shop. Ah, you know, I did purchase markanthonyarena.com, and I'm going to do that eventually, too, or just link it to all my different hobbies and sites. That's cool. Uh, you know, one of my best friends in the world, his name's Brian Kitahara. We call him Kato because he's a little sneaky. And we, um, he introduced me to all of the things. He introduced me to Google. I remember he sat me down in the late nights and said, check this out. And he typed my name in. And like all these things came up. He showed me YouTube. Anyway, he told me back in the day, just get your name as a URL, trust me. By your name, for, yeah. Some flowery thing. I'm so glad because there's all these Joe Dominos now. There's a guy that runs the Little League or the Minor League Hall of Fame. His name's Joe Domino. There's an author, so I'll get dinged sometimes. But I have the URL, and sometimes I can just hear him mutter, "Who's this art guy in Kansas City that stole my URL?" You know. Uh, and there's actually Domino's a big name where I live, um, and, and really? we know them, and they're a lot of yeah, yeah. It was um, real great family. We know them and. And uh, so, yeah, it is. Um, but yeah, absolutely. It's um, just go to not GoDaddy, avoid GoDaddy, folks, and just go anywhere else. Um, my favorite for parking domain names is Namecheap, if you've heard of them. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, go to not GoDaddy and register your name. Um, anyway, so joedomino.com, and that's D I M I N O. Um, and you can listen to his show and see what he's all about. I am thecomputerexorcist.com or markanthonyarena.com. And you can buy my book for all your friends. And thanks so much for telling your friends about the show. We'll talk to you later.